For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, X-Pac is back to talk about his weekend at the Hall of Fame, to talk about Tom McGee, to talk about being at the Performance Center. Plus, we're going to talk about Money in the Bank. We're going to talk about the 24-7 title. We're going to talk about AEW, Double or Nothing, and a whole lot more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. My oh my, has it been a week. It has been a week since we last spoke. Unless you listen to me on SiriusXM, in which case you probably hear me just about every day. But if all you do is listen to Not Sam Wrestling, it has been a week. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. It hasn't been a week week though. W-E-A-K, no. No. Strong week. So, wait till you hear this. Today, we've got an amazing podcast for you. Brand new interview with X-Pac. Just got done recording it. For your enjoyment. Uh, to talk about, you know, everything that X-Pac has going on right now. And what 2019 and beyond is starting to look like for one Sean Waltman. We'll get into all of it, but man, you know, I told you guys, I gave you guys a little taste last week when I was explaining why we did a classic interview with Daniel Bryan as the interview segment on the pod last week, and that's just because there was so much going on. So listen to this. So, pod drops on Thursday like always, right? Last week's Not Sam Wrestling drops on Thursday, unless you're on Patreon, patreon.com slash not sam wrestling if you're a not sam shill the podcast dropped on wednesday but for just about everybody else the podcast dropped on thursday like normal but it wasn't a normal thursday uh for me no siree the day that podcast dropped was the day that uh my wife and i had our second kid we went to the hospital pod was done okay wednesday night that was that that recording last week's podcast was the last recording in the Not Sam studio of me with a single child. Now everything that comes out of this Not Sam studio will be me as a double child parent. It's a whole new world. But I tell you all this to just explain uh, the week that it's been. So on Thursday, we go to the hospital and we have our second child. An amazing, amazing moment. And I tell you about this week, not to complain, but just to, just to explain that, that I am living the dream. This week, to me, has been, I think, the ideal week. One of the busiest weeks of my life, but in the best possible way. And it serves as a great example. I mean, my own personal philosophy is that you should try to surround yourself with everything that you love in life. And if you can get an abundance of it, always go for an abundance of it. It will be easy to find times in life where you can't surround yourself with everything that you love. If you can get yourself a moment in life 
where you can sacrifice sleep, sanity, free time, your your lounging time, feet up on the sofa, time, sacrifice all of it. If you can fill every minute with everything in life that you love. You have to balance everything now. You can't start tipping one way or the other, but if you can get an abundance of all this stuff, get that abundance, my friend. Because if it's stuff that you really love, and this is all stuff that I really love, you never go, oh my God, it's too much. That whole thing, too much birthday, doesn't exist. Oh, you know, dessert's good, but if you had just dessert and no dinner ever, you get tired of dessert. It's not true. Dessert's amazing. It's always amazing. And if <coughs> if you could just eat dessert and never get fat or get diabetes or anything like that, if you could remain healthy and only eat ice cream all the time, you would never get tired of ice cream. It's that good. That's what I mean. Abundance, when it doesn't affect your health negatively, is an amazing, amazing thing. So I get the pod ready to go Wednesday night. Thursday morning, we head to the hospital. We have our baby. The baby is born. She is beautiful. She is healthy. Seven pounds, two ounces. Perfect. An absolutely, incredibly perfect baby girl. Just the most immaculate addition that you could possibly have to a household. Incredible. Incredible moment. Uh, My wife is feeling great. My wife is healthy the whole time. It's just it couldn't have possibly gone better. So my wife is in the hospital for the weekend. She's there from uh, Thursday to Sunday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday. She comes home on Sunday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm back and forth. The hospital is about a half hour away from uh, our house. I was probably back and forth, I don't know, 10 times over the course of three days. Jess, making sure Jess was okay, coming home and taking care of our boy. I stayed, uh, the first time we had a kid, I slept in the hospital every night. This time, I slept at home every night because we've got a two-year-old that lives here and two-year-olds don't fend for themselves all that well. Luckily, we've got a ton of family here, her parents, my parents, that were helping us out uh, with the kid. Uh, But, you know, when it comes to making sure there's somebody here at night and somebody to wake up with our son, you know, that should be me. So every morning it was, you know, wake up bright and early, spend some time with the boy, put the boy in the car seat, head over to, you know, I don't know, Dunkin' Donuts or something, get some breakfast, head to the hospital, visit mom, bring him home, put him down for his nap, grab some lunch, go back to the hospital, hang out with mom, get her whatever she needs, get some food, get dinner, hang out at the hospital, uh, uh, get everybody else in and out. You know, parents want to come visit, get them in, get them out. Aunt, uncle, get them in, get them out. Friends, get them in, get them out. Because, you know, when a woman just has a baby, it's it's wonderful to see friends and family. But at some point, you can't just have a party 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You got to have a bouncer. And that was my role at the hospital, being the bouncer. So my days were packed, needless to say, for those three days. Then Sunday comes, Jess comes home just in time for me to give her a kiss on the head, give the new baby a kiss on the head, give the original baby a kiss on the head, jump in the car, drive to Hartford, Connecticut, so I can be there for money in the bank. Sit there, get the money in the bank, get to be a proud panelist on the Money in the Bank kickoff show alongside Jonathan Coachman and uh, David Otunga and Charlie Caruso and Beth Phoenix, legends of broadcasting surrounding me. Do that. 
After that's done, back in the car, back Hartford, Connecticut, head back home. A couple hours on the road, I'm back home just in time to go to bed, you know, say hello to the, to, to my wife. Obviously, the two-year-olds are already asleep and everything. Sleep for a few hours, wake up bright and early like usual, right about 4.40 in the morning, like like always. Jump in the car, drive to New York City to do the Jim and Sam show. Now we're at Monday. So get on the radio, talk about everything that's happened. Drive home from the radio show. Kiss foreheads one more time. Change, get back in the car. Drive to Albany, New York. Another couple hours on the road. So I can be there for Monday Night Raw. And more specifically, to perform commentary duties for main event. And, and sit there with more legends, Byron Saxton and Renee Young, and get to be on the call for main event, which will air this week. I think it'll be out on Hulu on uh, Thursday is when it usually airs. Unless I say, say something especially incendiary, in which case you won't have to wait for it to go to Hulu. They'll just post it all over the internet and act like, you know, I'm the greatest villain that's ever existed or something like that. So that was Monday then. So I do what I need to do in Albany, New York. Have the greatest time ever doing uh, color commentary for main event. Get back in the car. Head right back home. That night, head right back home another couple hours. A few hours, I guess, at that point. Middle of the night, driving through the mountains that the GPS took me through. It really was a, a, a terrifying thing as I didn't get enough gas in the car. But everything ended up okay. Get home. Middle of the night, I'm in the driveway. I'm putting a, the second car seat in the car to make sure that we're all set because the next morning, I'm up again, obviously. Now we're at Tuesday, 4.40 in the morning. Got to get into the city, do the Jim and Sam show, get back home. Luckily, I put the car, second car seat in the car before I went to bed the night before. And when I say go to bed, I mean lay down for, you know, 18 minutes, or at least that's what it felt like before I have to get back up. Then... When I got home from the radio show, the car seat was in. So it's time to put the baby in the car seat. Start hitting up those first doctor's appointments. I mean, I'm hitting on all on all cylinders right now. Personally and professionally, it's all happening. And it's all happening all at the same time in the greatest possible way. To be the last professional broadcaster right now, it's quite a treat. We're going a mile a minute. A mile a minute. I think hopefully things will slow down uh, as we approach the weekend. However... Nothing really slows down. This weekend, you're talking about uh, AEW Double or Nothing. Uh, next weekend already is NXT TakeOver 25. Then it, it just it never stops, which is why if you can maintain an abundance, I always say maintain an abundance. It's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, this week on the podcast, oh yeah, in all that time with all that stuff going on, I also made time to... Uh, hit up X-Pac, Sean Waltman, and say, hey, man, I haven't talked to you in a while. There's all this stuff I want to talk to you about. You got time to do the podcast this week? And, of course, he always makes the time. Uh, of course, the X-Pac right now is the host of X-Pac 12360. It's his podcast that's available wherever podcasts are available across all audio platforms, as well as on YouTube. You can see the full podcast from After Buzz TV um, every single week it goes up, and I think he does it live, too. So, uh, really spectacular, everything that X-Pac has going on. Uh, of course, we touch on the Hall of Fame. 
we talk about that X-Pac was one of the people who was brought in for a week very recently to be a guest trainer at the Performance Center. And I talked to him about what that means for him, both in terms of what did he do there and did he like it? Is it something he wants to do full time? Is he going back? You know, well, all that stuff we cover. We talk about Tom McGee and the X-Pac appearance in the Tom McGee doc and everything he's got going on this weekend out there in Vegas. This week, my guest on Not Sam Wrestling is none other than Sean X-Pac Waltman. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. Well, back with me one more time here on Not Sam Wrestling. And I don't mean one more time as in, like, this is the last time. I'm sure this is one more time of what will be many times after it. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, one of my favorite guests and somebody who uh, just always has stuff going on these days. And that's why uh, I think you're on so much. X-Pac is here. What's going on, man? What's the haps? Well, hello, Sam. How are you? What's the haps? Yeah. Oh, great, man. I mean, for the most part, great. You know, uh... Uh, things are good. I fostering a uh, a pit bull right now. Uh, Lula's just fine. How is you know? Lula doing with the pit bull? Oh well, she you know she she has to put she has to put these dogs in their place when they come over. Um, and, uh, and but they you know they're acclimated now. The the other one, the last one we fostered, his name was Cosmo. Lula was such a bitch uh, <laughs> to Cosmo. Cosmo finally had enough and got a hold of her. Really? Left, yeah, yeah, left a mark on her head and everything. We were just talking about that on the radio about uh, uh, big dogs and how it's kind of like when an MMA fighter or when anybody that's got professional fight experience is at a bar. Like, those yeah. are the big dogs that are the least likely to fight. And then, like, <laughs> little dogs are the people who think they're the toughest person who are just going to keep yeah. talking and talking until finally you push the fighter too far. And he's got to just say, this is the last time. And it's the last time. Yeah. So yeah, that that did happen with with her, and uh, like, uh, you know, it, it shook her up a little bit. And like, honestly, Sam, twenty thirty minutes later, she was back at it again, <laughs> trying to fight. <laughs> Good for her. She's scrappy. Uh, man, I mean, you got so much going on. I don't think that we've really spoken since. I I mean, I was gonna talk to you about. Uh, we didn't even get a chance to speak at um, at WrestleMania yet this, this year. We I hardly saw you, Sam. The first thing that yeah, at first I was like, oh, I want to get Sean on to talk about what he was doing at the Performance Center and whatnot. And then I was like, we didn't even talk about WrestleMania. We didn't talk about the Hall of Fame. But you know, I still have. There was one moment at the Hall of Fame that was like, you know, it was everything. You uh, when 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 DX pulled up into the arena in that uh, military Jeep and you guys were throwing out glow sticks to the audience. Yeah. And you took, oh, a, I get, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You took yeah. a moment to get out of the Jeep and you handed me two of the glow sticks. And I was like, this is, I mean, this is the coolest thing ever. I still have the glow sticks. I didn't even think about like what a cool experience that might've been for you, Sam, just was, because you're my friend. And yeah. I want to give you a couple of glow sticks. I didn't even think about it like that. <laughs> it was unbelievable. My wife was with me and she looked at me like, yeah, this is, I mean, this is everything. Think about you as a kid sitting here now and he's passing because, because that's what to me, that's why it was even more special than just like, you know, yeah. a wrestler handing you something is because you did it. Cause you're like, Oh, there's my buddy. Let me give him, let me give him these sticks. It was it was awesome. And then I thought you were great. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were great giving your speech. It was like you finally got some mic time and you actually uh, 
you actually got to say what you wanted to say. Well, I, I, there's still a lot of things that I wanted to say that I just didn't feel like, like there were some people I wanted to thank Sam that I, that I didn't. And like, um, like for instance, Phyllis Lee, who like, who talked, Phyllis Lee used to be the manager of Dan Severn. She, in, in the UFC, Hmm. And she managed a lot of uh, MMA fighters, but she was, she helped the great Malenko run his wrestling school and run all the sh- local shows. And, and she's the one that talked him into training me and, and was like one of my biggest supporters way before anyone else. And I didn't thank her. And, and uh, like, it bothered me a lot, you know, afterwards that I missed out on thanking her. And also, uh, I wanted to thank Kane. I wanted to talk about how important, um, that was like my t- my teaming with him and wrestling him. Well, I saw actually. I mean, I saw the moment that you took the night after at WrestleMania. I was sitting there in catering, and I saw when you ran into him. And the first thing you did was grab him and tell him how bad you felt and how you wanted to thank him for for everything he had done. And he was totally cool with it. Yeah, but it was so important to me. Like, and and I didn't get to do that. And and I so I was beating myself up over things that I didn't say that I, I felt like I should have. And, and so some people had to get on me and go and, and tell me to quit doing that shit to myself. Like, I, like, okay. I, most of those people would understand. Yeah. And, and it did. And I didn't want it to turn into another one of those hillbilly fucking gym speeches. <laughs> yeah. That was the whole you know? goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was so cool. Like when I actually said, Hey, like, you know, people want to get out of here and go home. Like so many people started chanting, no, we don't. No, we don't. That was kind of fucking cool. That's awesome. Man, I thought that the DX induction was pretty perfect as far as going in. Like, it wasn't wasn't corny. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't anything that it shouldn't have been. It was like you guys doing what you always did to entertain us, but at the same time, the camaraderie that you guys in real life, off screen and on screen, have always had together kind of shined through so clearly. Probably nice. in that speech of all speeches throughout the night, it was like it was perfect. I thought. And hey, so there was one. There was just one part that I thought stepped over the line. It's just just a little bit. Yeah. It was when they throw, they throwed the pictures up on the on the mon, on the fucking big screen of all the like, you know, the old ladies with the saggy titties. Because <laughs> 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 like okay. The one that, like, okay, just flash to one. That right. Been it. But they did, like, three, and each time it got more, like, cringeworthy to me. Right, and you were like, come on. <laughs> and, and I was the one, like, they, they made me do that. Like, Hunter's like, oh, you do this part, kid. And the fucked up part about it was, was it was right after I just, you know, just talked about something really, like, heartfelt and talking about Joni and, like, you know, yeah. her her contributions and, you know. And then I had to go segue right into the fucking old lady with the saggy titties. Yeah, now you got to go back into <laughs> now you got to go back into this thing. I got to and, and it's one of those like it's the worst scenario cuz you don't you don't believe in this joke, but you're the one who's got to get it over with the audience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh yeah, and then Road Dog gets to usher in the clip of the dogs humping each other or whatever, the yeah. dog humping the leg or whatever. I thought it was great though. I thought the whole thing was great. And you know what blew my mind is I watched the WWE uh dot com video diary that they did with you that kind of did the performance center and the WrestleMania stuff. I think it was on the Performance Center YouTube channel. Yeah. 
yeah. and they followed you around. They did like this mini 10 minute documentary. And I had no idea that you still to this day, after everything that you've done had a crippling fear of public speaking. Yeah. Like that is, that is crazy of all. I mean, you're the yeah. guy we've talked about your promo that you cut on Eric Bischoff when you come back to raw the night after WrestleMania yeah. 14 and all the promos that you cut from before that, from after that. I mean, you were part of a big part of wrestling when it had the most eyes in the history of the industry on it. You're a household name at that point, And you're still like it. You just don't get used to it, huh? Every single time. I mean, obviously, okay, when, okay, when you're used to doing it more, it gets a little bit easier and you're a little bit more acclimated, but still, still, even that being said, every time I went out and had to talk, mm-hmm. it was, you know, extreme. It was way the fuck out of my comfort zone. And, um, and uh, for that matter, Sam, not just the talking part, but the actual just performing in front of people in general, going out there for the matches. Um, uh, you know, there was that, a sense of that as well. And I just, you know, like the remember the movie Waterboy? Obviously, of you remember it. Of course, yeah. I turned it into tackling fuel. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So, so yeah, does... I took that like that fear and I turned it into like, and because like, and I and I explained this, you know, um, you know, deathly afraid of heights too. And so, like <laughs> one of the one of the things I did to confront that was jump out of an airplane. You know, Shane McMahon and I went skydiving together, and uh, and that was scary as fuck. And and uh, and but it was it was one of the most thrilling and, and great experiences of my life. So I try to. But you know, so, I, I don't want everyone to think that every time I went out there to talk, it was a terrible experience. Right. No, it's I mean, just, it's, I, I think it's a weird know. thing, too. Like, you're right before you're like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. This is going to be the scariest thing ever. When it's happening, you're like, oh, my God, you know, it's just nerves, nerves, nerves. And then once it's over, you go, that was the greatest thing ever. I got to do that again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's exactly what I did when I got when when I when I got back on the ground from skydiving. I was like, I want to go back up right away now. When did you skydive? What year was that? It was like 94. Oh, OK. So that was early on because I was going to say, yeah, like you had that great. Didn't you have a ladder match at sold out at the first NWO sold out? Yeah. With that was with Eddie, right? With Eddie. Yeah. yeah, that was the one match on the whole show that was good, right? Yes. Yeah. So you're telling <laughs> me. It is safe to say that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm offending anybody. No. <laughs> but but you're telling me that, that you have the one match on the show that, that kind of has any kind of redeeming value whatsoever. Yeah. And not only are you nervous because it's a big match expectations are high because you've got Eddie Guerrero and now you're also going to be like, Oh, you're afraid of heights. Well, we're going to, we're going to have you have to climb a ladder. Sure. And, uh, so like little backstory and I, I've told this before, Mm -hmm. but I'll, I'll I'll tell it again really quick Sure. uh, to make things worse. Like, okay, those were the ladders. Like that was the ladder we used, but, and okay. So Kevin Sullivan's the booker at this time and he's into imagery and a lot of things like that. Right. And, and so I show up, you know, before, you know, we get there early and I want to match together and I show up and there's this fucking ladder that is about 
it's not eight feet tall. It's fucking eight feet wide and about 25 feet tall. <laughs> it's ridiculous, Sam. It <laughs> is fucking ridiculous. And I said, there's no way I'm using that ladder. I said, I just need, I said, I need an eight or a 12 or 10, however fucking tall the ladder was. And he's like, oh, I thought it would look great on TV. I'm like, you fucking climb that thing. <laughs> yeah. You're not debating whether or not it would look great on TV. Yes. I'm sure it would look amazing on TV. But that's and how the fuck would anybody even pick that thing up and put it in the ring? I don't even understand how that would have worked. But so I, uh, while I do get, you know, you know the how great it would have looked. But I mean, uh, bad enough. Like I get to the top. Eddie and I are on one part of the match, and I, um, I retweeted a GIF somebody like tweeted out of this. Like we get to the top of the ladder, and I'm like on the second from top wrong, and I went, I, I said, Eddie drop kick and then i jumped up and as i drop kicked him from the top of the ladder he's going you crazy motherfucker <laughs> you can see it go back and look it's sick looking i will that's awesome it is fucking nuts yeah well i mean it, it goes to tell you the match i didn't know we were going to talk about a fear your fear of heights just now i mean that match is just in my head it's not like i had researched before we had this conversation sold out 97 that was a and so like every time I dove off the top rope to the floor and flew outside the ring onto somebody, I had to go through all of that. Oh my fear god! Like, and and I tried to tell people, I'm like the only thing that was more scary was the thought of people shitting all over me if I got back down from the top rope because I was too scared to jump. Right. It's like once you're up there, what's yes. worse? <laughs> what's worse? Yes. <laughs> and I mean, especially. You start in WWE, nobody's doing moonsaults in WWE, nobody's doing the stuff that you're doing, so now, every single match, you've got to do a moonsault. No. Because <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I did shitty... I, okay, so I've never talked to you about this. Uh, when, when, when Scott showed up to the Manhattan Center yeah. the, that day, yeah. you know, he comes up and you know, he, he asked Pat... He asked Pat Patterson, he goes, well, what, what do you want me to do? How should we do this? And Pat said, just beat the fuck out of him and pick one move. Miss something, pick one move. I'm, you know, slip, catch you at one thing. And so I just threw moonsault out there. I didn't even do moonsault. <laughs> I like I've said this a million times. I sucked at doing a moonsault. It was a shitty moonsault. Yeah. Um, you know, but it worked. And so then after I did that, people wanted to see me keep doing it. Right, right. And, and then, yeah, you know. one, two, three kid, it becomes like, well, yeah, one, two, three kid, but then one, two, three follows the moonsault. You, you got it. Yeah, you, no. <laughs> so, uh, but were you happy all told with WrestleMania weekend and what it was with the how the Hall of Fame went and getting the uh, the introduction there on the WrestleMania stage? And I, I mean, it's got to be a, a pretty special way to spend that weekend when you're one of the inductees. It was huge. It yeah. was one of the great, it was Honestly, you know, uh, for so many reasons, Sam, it was just one of the highlights of my entire life. Um, my kids were there, yeah, you know, and uh, a lot of people might not know this. Like, there was a time when I went over four years without even talking to my son because he just he was over it. Like, he was over all the false fucking hope, and you know, oh, this time I swear and. You know, I, I, you know what I mean, Sam? Yeah, of course. Like they just, and so it took a, it took quite a bit of, you know, track record behind me before he would go and give me another chance. Yeah. You know. And, yeah, I mean, it was it was a pretty. It wasn't just a celebration of your career. It was a full circle life moment for you. It was a 
declaration, I think, of where you've gotten to in life. Yeah. The fact that you could just get up on stage and be in great shape and look great and deliver when you're talking in front of a microphone. Like, you know, I think of everybody, you're the guy who you can't kind of overstate what a big deal that is in 2019. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, and I know people know, like, that I have had some rough times, mm -hmm. but like if you are, if you really, really know my story and you know just how low and and Sam, I've shared some of it with you on you know on your show, yeah, and not not your podcast, but on you know the serious show, right? Um, and you know when people know like that, that's how low I was. It's fucking just short of a miracle. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I made it to that fucking stage, Sam. Absolutely, man. Uh, would you, you, so you would, because of all that, would you put this moment above uh, WrestleMania 31 where you guys all got to do the run in together in the Triple H Sting match? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes sense to me. Uh, yeah, because people, like, I'm being, you know, recognized for my contributions yes. to this thing that has, has been my whole life. Yeah. Totally. I, nothing else has ever. Ben, I, you know, I, before wrestling, there was nothing. Right. There wasn't, oh, I want to do this. And then, you know, I'm dreaming of being a fucking fireman or, or, you know, this or that. And then all of a sudden I see wrestling and, you know, oh, I changed my mind. I changed my dream. No, my only fucking dream, you know. Yeah. Has always had to do with wrestling. And it's not like you wanted to leave wrestling to go do something else. It was just, this is all you've ever done. It's all you've ever yeah. wanted to do. Uh Right around that same time, you got to spend, I think, a week uh, at the WWE Performance Center as a guest tr uh, trainer and coach or whatever the official title is. Uh, it was like about, a, about three weeks before that. Yeah. Yeah. How, how was that? Because that, again, I mean, you talk about somebody, you know, recognizing your value to the industry. I feel like, you know, the people at WWE saying, okay, this is a person who now we want to use his brain and his skill set. Yeah to kind of instill that into the next generation of talent, potentially, at least for, you know, a week of guest training. We'll see what else happens. But uh, that had to feel great, just getting the invitation. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and, like, just to explain to you, like, what I brought to the table, maybe different than other, you know, uh, I guess coaches that come in there because I'm not real. I'm not a coach. I've never been a coach. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, they bring me in, and that was the title. Hey, guest coach, and that I'm not a coach. I'm a teacher, Sam. There's a big difference. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not the guy that's yelling at you to do ten more fucking push-ups, and you know, you don't, you're not taking those bumps right, or you know, do it again. I'm like, I'm just gonna. It's different, you know. It's. It's like finishing school type shit. It's like, yeah, I, I, like Sean has a class there. Like once people get to a certain level uh -huh. there, okay, then you get to hear some of the way, like, you know, everyone has to create their own secret sauce, yes. but you kind of get coached on how to make your own secret sauce. I don't know if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, I, 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 I my take on it was, I know when I've watched matches with you and I think I've talked about it before when, when we've talked but it's the it's it's the little details, you know. Yes. It's not as you know anybody that you talk to that is a wrestler is going to be able to give you the perspective of what it's like to be in the ring. But with you, there's always these tiny little details that even me, having watched WWE for over thirty years, 
just would never, it would never have occurred to me that this yes. one tiny moment that feels like it doesn't even matter is actually the moment where you start manipulating the audience into feeling this thing for this person yeah. or, or do this different because the audience is bored. They don't know why, but it's because this yes. tiny little thing over here is something that happens in every single match for the last 20 years. You got to stop doing this. You can do yes. this that way. And, and I would imagine that that's where your value comes in, right? Yeah, for sure. And and there's things like okay, there's a there are some rules. Like there are some certain set there are certain set rules. Like this is how you do things and this is like okay, um you know, just kind of like rule rules of thumb like of how to work a match that okay, once you get to a certain level, sometimes there are exceptions to rules that you know that they're only exceptions once you get to that level. Does that make sense to Total you? Total sense. It's it's a not a, it's not a universal exception. Yes. It's if if it's if you're this person and you're on this level and you have this skill set, then you become the exception. But before that, no way. Absolutely. Right. Per, like I'm glad that you like you're able to like you know add to this because that's a perfect way of putting it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you know? and, and and yeah. It, absolutely. It's it's it's. I mean, it's like, you know, and so, and so, so Sam, you know, that's something that like Sean is comfortable with me because, you know, Sean, myself, Sean, Paul, Scott, Kev, you know, that's all we did was drive down the road and, and talk about these things. Like the only thing we didn't have was the luxury of having like being able to watch the match back, like on our phone while we're driving down the road. Right. So you would have done that memory. We had to go. We had to do a lot of this shit and and work all this st- stuff out over our memory of the match that just happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, you'd all so, do it for each other. Like you you'd kind of take turns, just saying like, "Well, I saw this, and what if you did yeah. this, and what if?" And are you just doing that for your own matches, or are you doing that for like the whole show? Uh, mostly our own matches. Yeah. Like, I mean, we don't have enough fucking bandwidth to <laughs> you know do the whole like everyone's match. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, if we happen to see a match, you know, and give a feedback on it. But, but anyways, that was just how we did it for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, and so that so Sean Sean is comfortable with me, like, you know, uh, you know, adding to that. Yeah. There, because he has that's that's his class. Like his class is, and and in his class, it's like the first rule, like kind of like Fight Club. You don't talk about what's being said in, in this class because the people on the undercard aren't ready for that yet. Right. It makes sense because to put, to put that lesson in their head, leave somebody that hasn't mastered step seven, thinking about step 15 yeah. and they're going to miss everything in between and everything in between is the foundation that means that makes step 15 work at all. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so, uh, so, I mean, it's sort of the, the last I checked, I'm heading back there. I think June eighth. That's awesome. Couple of, I think I'm gonna be on. The, I think I'm like be on the road with them. Like the last I checked with with Matt, yeah, that was the plan. Um, is uh, be on like actually go on the road with them for a couple of weeks here in June. That's awesome. You enjoyed yeah. it then, like you you liked absolutely. Yeah, and and you know we're talking about like you know uh, where I would fit in down there, and um. At the same time, and it's part of my personality. Like I had such a great experience down there, Sam. That yeah. you know, I'm ready to fucking up, up and move to Orlando. You and would jump do it right in. That's you know, awesome, close, dude. Yeah, but 
that's not necessarily the smart way of doing it. Like we're going to just take our time and if it works out, like, cause it might not be a good fit. Right. For either of you. 99.99% sure. Yeah. It's a good fit. But, yeah. You know, <laughs> but you, yeah, no, you know, you're right. You're right. I mean, and it's a luxury to be able to take it slow. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely, definitely agree. So were there any guys uh, that you kind of walked in and didn't realize were as good as they were? Or were there any guys or girls? I should say superstars is the general term. But were there any superstars down there that kind of took to your advice or 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 understood what you were saying and why you were saying it in ways that you were like, oh, my God. I mean, I know they were good, but this person has it. Um. Well, there's a couple of guys I was already fans of, and and I think you know, um, I I think people know I'm, I was already a, like one of Matt Riddle's champions. Like I was, you know, singing his praises like when he before he even really got going in, yeah. in wrestling. Uh, he's a prodigy, and uh, and also Punishment Martinez. Like those are guys I worked I I worked with at the Monster Factory, uh, and. Um, and so I already knew their like how they were, you know, like mm-hmm. that they really brought it, you know, and were were like if you went to the Monster Factory, you were like, I knew you were put, I knew you weren't afraid to put in the work, that's for sure. So um, yeah, those guys are like, there's a lot of, there was a lot of guys that I couldn't even tell you their name that I saw potential in. Right. That it's just like okay, I see what these guys are doing, I see what they're thinking. And they're good ideas, but it needs to be tweaked here a little bit. Like they need to tighten the action up right here a little bit because the crowd's the the bottom's falling out of the crowd because they're waiting too long. Things like that. Are there people? And I'm not gonna ask you to mention anybody's name because uh, it didn't even feel like it'd be professional for you at this point to mention names in a negative way. But when you Plenty. like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, wow. But- you can ask, go ahead and ask your question anyway. <laughs> well, <I> was, <laughs> what a great answer. Um, no, I like, because you go right and you watch uh, NXT on TV or you go to the live events and really as a fan, you see the performance in the ring and that's, or the promo that gets cut for YouTube or whatever it is, and that's all that you see. You see, that's it. And then for some reason or another, things just don't work out. Are there people that you see even with everything the performance center has to offer that still just have this attitude that regardless of how they are in the ring, regardless of, of what they do there, it, it's just not, this is not going to happen for them unless they change. Yeah. And, and it's different reasons for different people. Yeah. You know, maybe one person might just have this really like, just really hates doing jobs and putting people over and they can't hide it. Right. They, they wear it on their sleeves when they get asked to do a job and they're like, fuck a boo-boo facing. And it, <laughs> and it gets to be like where you get a reputation for that kind of thing. Of course. Or or it can be somebody that is is uh, is recruited that is like a fucking like black black one of the like top black belts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So they think that they can't sell for anybody else. Like that's not as tough as them or not as doesn't have the credentials for them and that fucks things up um you know or like just guys that are just 
just don't have the aptitude. Right. You know, or they just have the wrong idea about this. How do you, as a teacher, like, cause it seems like it'd be the most frustrating thing in the world to me. And maybe that's why, you know, I, maybe I'm not cut out for the teaching world because it feels like it would be so frustrating to know what you have to offer. And to, let's say go to somebody. Let's say you find one of these people who are uh, boo-boo facing and, and, and making a scene without even necessarily doing it intentionally over having to do jobs or whatever it is. And you go up to them and you go, look, like you've got all the potential in the world. You're super talented, but people see what you're doing. People see this attitude. You got to knock this stuff off. It's not going to do you any favors. Yeah. And when that person looks at you and brushes that off and you know he's not going to follow your advice, you know he's not even listening to you. He thinks he's got it all figured out already. Does that not drive you up the wall? Uh, no, it doesn't. Because I, you know, I don't think I've ever been necessarily that person, but I might have had that in me on occasion when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I try to understand, but at the same time, being that we, we do not have unlimited bandwidth, I've, I, I, I just don't waste any of it on them anymore. Right, you're Does able that, to, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's no. like, okay, yeah. you know, I mean and and hopefully I hopefully I explained it myself right to them, but I I don't know. I I don't know. Put your energy into <laughs> the people that I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's all you can do, right? Just put your energy into yeah. the people that are actually using your energy well. Yeah. I yeah. I'm gonna give you for example. Yeah. Um, like one guy comes up to me and he's just monstrous, like he's huge. Uh -huh. And it's difficult, like, it's difficult, especially if you're, like, a baby face. Like, and just in general, it's difficult when you're, say you're seven feet tall, for instance, yeah. and, you, um, and you're trying to figure out how to work with smaller guys, right? Like, and have, a, like, a, somewhat of a back-and-forth match where it's not just a squash. And they're coming up and asking me, and I'm saying, look, hey, look. You got. To, you have to come up with creative ways to stop yourself as a big man working with smaller people. Mm -hmm. You know that was one thing that I always did was I always came up with creative ways for the bigger guys. Like you would approach was, them and say like, "Hey, here's yeah, something we okay, can this, do." Yeah. yeah, and that was why it was always easy for me to have, you know, really good matches and and credible matches with bigger guys. But, you know, like for in, okay, back to what I was saying, you know, so I would explain that to somebody and then they would go well i don't want to look stupid <laughs> well there's got to be something that fucking somewhat evens the playing field between you and your opponent and just because he outsmarts you does not mean you are stupid right it yeah. just means he's a little smarter than you he's got that fucking something so you want to be the biggest and the fucking smartest <laughs> right right yeah and Fuck. i mean i think at this point fans have seen so many different fighting styles you know the 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 striking, for example, that we see in pro wrestling, we never would have seen even ten years ago, probably. But it just the fighting styles have evolved so much that you you don't necessarily see a big guy and go a hundred times out of a hundred times he's going to squash the little guy. You know, I think that now more than ever, people are used to seeing smaller people come up with creative ways to beat up bigger people. Exactly. Right. Yes. You know, and I think people are way more accepting of it uh, than ever. Uh, so um, so that's how how much time did you spend at the performance center every day? Um, 
A couple hours, yeah. you know, two, three hours, four hours. It yeah. depend. Excuse me, I just burped. It depends. It depended on, you know, because some days there were ske- things that were scheduled, and some, and some days, I just dropped in on Sean's class and sat in on that and saw how that worked, and then, you know. So when you see, because you obviously you're aware of the performance center as most oh yeah, people also are. like I went to the live events. Oh, like the uh, the smaller Florida shows. Yes, they call it the Coconut Run or Coconut Show. I can't. There's like Coco Beach. You know, no, Coconut. It's oh. like kind of, kind of like you know how they have names for like the spring training leagues down. Right. In, it's kind of like that. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, so you, when you see the performance center actually being used for what it's used for, meaning like when you're actually there and you're not only observing but participating in these classes and you're 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 not just seeing this structure and this place where there's the potential for this and that to happen you're actually seeing what happens in this building do you look at the performance center differently now than when you first walked in and just saw what it was potentially yes yeah because you can have all of these ingredients but if the culture is toxic none of it was worth a shit how do you prevent a toxic culture how do you how do you sit there because like you I, said Go ahead. No, you fin- go ahead. Finish what you were saying. I mean, because like you said, if it, it seems like, and I don't even think it's just wrestling. I think it's athletics. I think it's show business. I think it's anything where egos have to be involved in order for it to work. Yeah, you're you're gonna I have d- toxic people. You're gonna have negativity. You're gonna have attitudes that persist. How do you st- how do you stop toxicity from entering into this space? Well, it starts at the top, in my opinion, and uh, and Hunter has done an amazing job with, with, you know, anyone that was bringing toxicity in there's gone, mm-hmm. you know, and and regardless, because you could be a good person, but if you're bringing negativity, like you could be a good person and still ha- like bring negativity and toxicity to the table and not even realize it, sure right yeah definitely definitely you know, like always bitching about things and just yeah you know, when you walk through that door you can't be like that yeah and, and um i'm not to say that you can't complain about anything but it's just that attitude like everyone has a a, a good attitude like and and like like so many people that come in and, and see that place they all comment on the same thing they say it, the culture that is the, the most impressive thing here, you know, and uh, and that's going to be great as far as, you know, uh, the talent when they leave, they'll when they leave there and, and move up, they'll bring that mentality and, and, you know, and all that with them. I was. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Right. <laughs> and, and also like uh, the performance center is um, like, OK, they produce stuff there they produce content they you know you could put a you know they did the halftime show there like and it looked great yeah you know they're with a with the ring and and, and bleach you know bleachers and yeah. and you know stand it looked great on tv i thought it looked amazing i mean i still yeah. think that the i'm sure i believe that the halftime heat show is why half those guys ended up getting called up to the main roster right after the thing because Everybody did so well, but the show looked so great. It was like we can already see these people performing on the highest level in WWE. Yes. Um, yep. Speaking of performing on the highest level in WWE, I was uh, I was excited to see that you were a part of the Tom McGee uh, documentary oh, yeah. that that 
WWE put out. Have you watched that? I did watch it, and I and I saw you on there, and and uh, I was happy to be a part of it. Yeah, I was, uh, it was cool. I I didn't know that you were you you had seen the or or that you were there or whatever for the Ted DiBiase Tom McGee match. Oh sure, because it was at the Sundome in Tampa, and you know I was at everything. Because oh. when I was so when from the time I was a kid and first got around wrestling, yeah. You know, and before I even knew, like, all these principles for success, like, I put myself in the right place at the right time all the time. Right. So wherever there was wrestling, I injected myself. Right. You know? Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I just, I, Sam, after that match with DiBiase, I was like, I would have fucking bet my left nut that Tom <laughs> McGee was going to be the biggest, you know, was going to be one of the biggest stars in, in wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's such a crazy story, and then I, getting to see the uh, the Bret Hart match, I yeah. mean it lives up to everything because you can see where clearly you would think this guy is the man, but also when, when you, you know what you're looking at it more when when, yes. when you have a better idea of what you're looking at, you can see a hundred percent, a hundred percent, yeah, yeah, because then you stop looking for all the stuff that makes Tom McGee so great, yeah. and you start looking at wait a minute, who's doing what here? Yeah. And and why am I? Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was super cool, and I thought they did such a good job on it too. And so, and I enjoyed you. I enjoyed your uh, input on that. And and uh, and Sam, uh, I stand by everything that I said on there. And and so, like I was listening to Melter, Dave Melter, and Brian Alvarez discuss it. Yeah, yeah. And so, and, and you know, so Dave's got a certain built-in take on it already because it was based on something he wrote about years ago, right? Like, that yeah. was the first anyone ever heard about that. I mean, I think there's other a... Than, other than the boys. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there, there's a natural bias that Dave yeah. has going in with the sense that he wasn't involved in yeah. the production of the thing. And so, okay, I had had many conversations about that about that match. I because I, I used to drive with Brett, I used to travel with Brett, and and we talked about that plenty, uh -huh. and talked about Tom, uh, Tom McGee, and you know, and uh, and so when and Meltzer brought up that maybe because I said I said they, in my opinion they gave up on Tom McGee too soon, hmm. uh, I and and Meltzer's like I don't think Sean Waltman knows just how bad Tom McGee is, I know just how like just I don't want to say just how bad just how challenging. Right. It was to work because I talked to the people that worked with him firsthand. So I know, and I still stand by my statement. I, he, he like more could, way more could have been done with him. He just wasn't in the ring with the right people. And mind you, he has to be willing to learn. Yeah. You have to have the proper men, the proper attitude. Okay. And all that being there, like, um, like if I worked with him for a year, I guarantee I would have gotten him, uh, much, much more ready to be a star. Well, uh, my my that was my specialty. My theory. I, I, sorry, I don't mean to cut you. No, off, go Sam, for it, dude. But like on um, on my show last week, uh -huh. I discussed exactly how I would have worked a match with Tom McGee. How would you have done it? Well, like from the get go, like just to establish right off the bat, the you know, I would have locked up with him and had him had him power me off, and I would have fucking went flying over the top rope to the floor. Right. And and, it, and it's something I learned from Kurt Hennig, like and and I did it with so there's a six man when when Kevin and Scott came back and we did the NWO in yeah. 2002. Yeah. 
so he, he's he and Kevin Scott and I worked with with Hulk, Kane, and uh, and The Rock. And so I started off with Hulk, and that's the first thing we did. He locked up with me. He shoved me off. I went fucking flying over the top rope to the floor. He posed. Place went ape shit. And yeah. then we, I got back in, and we start, you know, started it from there. But like, that's exactly how I would have started it with Tom. And uh, um, I piece of cake. I, yeah, it would have been. It wouldn't have been as easy. It wouldn't have been a night off. But totally doable. And there would have been. And if that was if that was my job to get him ready, I would I would have taken great satisfaction, in uh, in watching him improve. You know. And you know, you gotta I, have patience. You gotta have patience, and you have to know how to explain things. Yeah, and God rest his soul. I think that most of the people, especially when he was still persona non grata, have similar stories about working matches with the Ultimate Warrior and how yes. challenging that was for them. Now, yeah. you know, Ultimate Warrior was like dripping with charisma but still you know when you're talking about somebody that just is not ready for the spot that they're in and tom mcgee never would have been this never would have been that my my theory has just kind of always been that he wasn't quite as good as they thought he was they were ready for him to be you know up at the top of the totem pole and when he's not the top they're like, well, we wanted him at the top we don't want him in the middle we want him at the top or nothing right around the same time as when the warrior shows up Yes. And they go, well, what do we need Tom McGee for if we have Ultimate Warrior? Yep. That's always been, you know, how I kind of thought that it went down. Um, I think uh, that's probably something to that. Because, I mean, the time, just because the timeline matches up. And, I mean, look yeah. at the looks that these guys have. Now, you know, the, the, the acrobatics of Tom McGee, that is when you look at it going, nobody, nobody in WWF at the time, in the, in the 80s, was doing the stuff that Tom McGee was doing and the stuff that he was capable yeah. of doing, especially at his size. I mean, that stuff would be impressive today if he was doing it. A freak. I, an athletic freak. Just, you know, the combination of, like, the like that athleticism along with being, like, a top-ranked, you know, person in, in the strongman world and yeah. powerlifting world. It's insane. And yeah. bodybuilding. So he's, like, this strongman powerlifter that also has, like, the symmetry of a bodybuilder and usually you don't have both for people that know bodybuilding and powerlifting and you know all of that shit like usually like the powerlifters and the strongmen like they don't have pretty bodies you can tell they're fucking monsters but like they don't have the the symmetry like a like an art you know what i mean yeah they're the, they're the big barrel chested like just massive guys they're not really because the strongmen are not they're not lifting weights to look strong. They're lifting weights to right. actually be strong. Yeah. You know, it's so. a totally different art form, I think. I think that that's right. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I I thought the whole thing was great, and I love that WWE even took the time to tell that story so well. Um, yeah. I think I think that they gave that guy, like, Giancarlo, like, the – I think I pronounced his name yeah, right. Yeah, Giancarlo. Giancarlo, yeah. Yeah. They gave him, like, hey, go get this done. And, like, I don't know if they knew how good that was going to be. No, I mean, look, you know, I don't, I, from, I, I don't, it was, I don't think that when he was making it, it was intended to be what it became. You know, I don't think that it became what it became until he showed them what he did. And they said, oh my God, this is, this is a totally different thing than we thought we were doing. This is a presentation, this is the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Speaking of presentations, you're going to be at uh, Starcast, right? Over the over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be doing a a live. You'll be doing your live show, right? I'm going to do like a yeah, like a live podcast type of thing. Like you know, it's kind of going to be like Monday Night War Stories theme. I think we're going to do mm-hmm. just, and I think a lot of people from that era, like you know, because last Starcast I had Kevin and Scott, and it was like. One two three sixty degrees of the NWO. It's gonna be different now. Like, I, I'm not gonna be just limited to that. I, I put a request in for different guys, like you know, to be on that with me, and like it varies. Like some Attitude Era guys, and you know, I we'll see, we'll yeah. see. But it's, it'll be fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. cool, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, and also you know, um, and I don't want to push this too hard. Oh whatever. I'm cause we're in we're in Vegas and and that and I'm doing what Ron Funches we're breaking out the Get High Watch Wrestling uh, show. Uh, that's not going to be uh, broadcast anywhere though, right? No, right? No, 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 no. It's not going to be like on Fight TV. You have to actually, you know, go to be the there show to enjoy that. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. awesome. That's well, all. Well, you know, it's in Vegas, and you know, they're le- like the cannabis is legal there, and so like anyone that wants to partake in that, but you don't have to, and you know, um, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, like, and I mentioned this when I first talked about it. Like, I, I questioned whether or not I wanted to do another one of those, just because you know, I'm, you know, I'm at a point in my life where like I, I'm not the, hey, I'm the pot guy. You know how I used to be. Totally. Sam, and you know, like glorify it, and nothing wrong with that. It's just not me anymore, you right. know. And and I am in recovery, and 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 cannabis is a huge part of my recovery program. Right. Uh, and so, like, I'm not like, hey, let's get fucking stoned out of our goddamn minds. And like, if somebody else wants to do that, that's fine. It's not really my thing anymore, mm-hmm. you know. But like, let's go out. Let's, you know, let's have fun and and pick like, I you were not you. you it's just basically, you know, uh, clips, video clips of, like, botches and just funny shit, right? So Right, so uh, you don't have to be high to enjoy it. It's the same stuff right. that you'd be looking up on YouTube and whatnot. It's just yeah. hilarious Mark, people that are there to watch it with you. Yeah, Mike, the last one we did here in Hollywood was Mike Lawrence sat in uh. on it with us. Like, a, a stand-up comedian would always would come in and do it with us. With Brian Posehn did the first one, and, uh, and, uh, and so Mike Lawrence... He's not a pothead at all. He don't smoke. Well, I don't think he drinks or anything. And you know, but he want he loves wrestling, so he fit right in. I mean, he loves wrestling. He's one of the quickest joke writers I've ever witnessed. I mean, the guy is yeah. a machine. He's a machine. Oh, you yeah. talk about tackling fuel. Whatever he's whatever he's using. I mean, my God, Mike Mike Lawrence is a monster. Uh, <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. And I would imagine too that when you know that that. Vegas is going to be bubbling with wrestling fans, so that's always a fun environment to be in. Yeah, you know. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's if it's anything like the first Starcast, you know, that was, you know, it was just I had never seen anything like that. You yeah. know. Uh, yes. Okay. You know, WrestleMania weekend, and you know, you have WrestleCon and all that, but like the vibe was just different. Do you feel as a guy who does a a a, a weekly podcast, right? And I think that. Uh, a lot of your following and a lot of the people who subscribe to your podcast, they love the interviews, they love all that, but I think that you, more so than most uh, podcasts hosted by wrestlers, uh, you're following, because I know that I, that's this is the, it's the main thing that I listen to when I listen to your podcast, is the take on 
current event stuff in the world of yeah. wrestling. Whatever's going on in the news, yeah. whatever happened on the show this week. Is there any part of you now that, you know, there's this, uh, you're, you're doing things here and there with the Performance Center, your relationship with WWE is kind of slowly building. Is there any part of you that goes, you know what? I don't know if I want to go and make this comment as the guy who was just at the Performance Center. Funny you say that, Sam, because that's been an issue with me lately. And it's not because... it's not so much, I mean, and, and maybe I'm putting words, I feel like it's not so much they're telling me, hey, don't say this. It's all of a sudden your words carry more weight. Yes. And so it's like this statement that should have been this throwaway thing that you didn't even care that much one way or the other is now a declarative statement and it's a headline. Yeah. And, and there are certain news stories in wrestling that I have to completely fucking avoid. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. And, and that's just the way it is. I mean, and, and I have a take on them and, and my take is, is part of the reason why I have to avoid a lot of those fucking things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You start thinking like, what is, what is, what is, my take on this what is yeah. it really worth what's the what's what's it really worth here is it exactly. worth everything that's going to come from it do people need to hear my take that badly no <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i no, don't the, think the so. real question to me is do i do i need to give my take that badly right right it's like we're and supposed the answer to... is no. Yeah, yeah. We're doing this for fun, right? This is all <laughs> supposed to be for fun. How fun is it going to be if I say this? I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. Uh, if you don't already, make sure that you're listening to uh, Xbox One Two Three Sixty. It's on. Uh, it's on Westwood One, right? And the video's on After Buzz. No, no. I'm, I'm done with that Westwood One now. Oh, yeah. how did that? No, it just, you know, they had so many shows on there, yeah. and like, I got just kind of got lost in the shuffle, and uh, it was just, it's fine. Yeah. Like, on a, like the truth is, <laughs> and this is a thousand percent true, like, I, I switched over to to another, uh, you know, uh, ads, I don't have the fucking terminology. <laughs> like, I've been doing podcasting for three years, and I still don't know proper terminology for this shit. <laughs> But anyways, I'm with, the, I'm with Anchor now. I've made like more money in the first month than I made the whole year. Oh, that's awesome! And that's more that's of like percent true. And you can do is Anchor like a network, or is it more you can do your podcast independently? And they're really just and the sales team. Ad, and they place ads like progr programmatically. Like, oh, that's... I don't even have to do live reads, Sam. Oh my God, I got to look into this. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. Maybe I, sh maybe I shouldn't be fucking giving all my trade secrets away on the show. Exactly. This is the secret sauce. You should be doing a Shh. podcast class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, man, I think everybody should be uh, listening to or watching uh, X-Pac 12360. Obviously, there's always just always good takes. And uh, it's it's seeing the evolution of Sean Waltman and, and I think the impact that you're still going to have, it's so cool to know that there's, it feels like there's another phase that is starting to take off in your career. And, and I, when I mean starting to take off, it's taken off. It's just, people are about to see what it looks like to be Sean Waltman in, in, in this day and age in the wrestling business. And I think it's really cool, man. It's, it, you know, it's, 
it's cool for I, whether I mean I hope it's cool for people to see it. Like it's incredibly cool uh, to be me right now. That's um, yeah, yeah. It's amazing to be me right now, Sam. Like I'm not saying like every single fucking thing in my life is going a thousand percent full steam ahead in the right direction. I still have certain things, and I probably, you know will deal with things till the day I die, but like I got a handle on everything. Yeah. You know, and like I'm, you know, if I, and I I can, like I'm confident in saying this and I never was before. Like like if I die, it's going to be from damage already done or, uh, or from an accident I have, or like, you know, I get a death, uh, you know, uh, you know, some kind of an illness or something. It's not going to be because I fucking fell off and started doing drugs and alcohol again. It's awesome, man. It's awesome. Well, congrats on everything, and uh, I always appreciate you doing the show. It's always great talking to you. Thanks, Sam. Shit. Have me back on more often. I will. <laughs> Absolutely. If you've been enjoying all the content here at Not Sam Wrestling for an hour, for a week, for a month, for a year, for all the years that we've been doing it, and you're not already a Not Sam shill, what are you waiting for? The Not Sam shills are the army of people that represent us over at patreon.com slash Wrestling. So much more content going on over there. Not only do you get access to this show every single week early and ad-free, but you're going to get videos of everything that we do on the show. The interview videos go up early. You're going to get to watch the State of Wrestling get recorded live. The State of Wrestling on video complete, available only to the Not Sam Shills. You'll get bonus shows like a Captive Audience, where I take somebody who's in my life who doesn't necessarily watch wrestling, and I make them watch an entire pay-per-view with me. We do it watch-along style, so you can turn on the WWE Network and watch with us, uh, and, and you get to listen to me explain to them why what we're watching is so awesome. You can be a part of the Discord room that is literally active 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Everybody, every wrestling show, other wrestling radio shows and podcasts, everything that's being consumed by wrestling fans gets talked about in that Discord room in real time. And there's no BS. It's the greatest place for wrestling fan interaction that I've ever seen. And I show my ugly mug in there every now and then. I mean, it's incredible. You get access to merchandise, okay? The Not Sam Chalkline jacket that I wear. The only place to get that is at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. It is only available to Not Sam Shills. So go to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Sign up. You can start for as little as four bucks a month. That's less than a dollar a week. And all those dollars go directly to support this show. It motivates me. It funds me. It's why we're doing what we're doing. Become a Not Sam Shill. Go to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling right now. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yes, it is State of Wrestling time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Of course, the State of Wrestling is where we here on Not Sam Wrestling, and by we, I mean I, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, break down the top five stories of the week in the world of professional wrestling, according to yours truly. Uh, And we rank them. And we go. Let's start story number five. This is a good news story. It ended up being a good news story. It, it sounded like it was going to be a bad news story. But uh, I think it was TMZ that first broke it. Uh, I think over the weekend, buzz started that Ric Flair, the nature boy, the man who invented Ric Flair drip, had been brought to the hospital. Serious conditions. They, they Nobody really said exactly what it was. 
but they just said it was serious and that everybody was worried. Well, as it turns out, there is not much to worry ever about the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Here's what he said today on Twitter. He posted a photo of himself flexing. I mean the bicep on this guy. Now, can I confirm that this photo was taken today? No, I don't think any of us can confirm that this photo was taken today. But point is, in the photo, he's in great shape. And he writes, the Nate is home! Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Thank you all for the incredible staff. Uh, thank you to all the incredible staff and doctors at Gwinnett Medical Center once again. I am so thankful for all my family, friends, and fans for all the love. Uh, at this time in my life, I never take it for granted. I will be back up and wooing in no time. Ric Flair is back. He's okay. And I got to tell you, he appears to be indestructible. I don't think that there's anything that Ric Flair can't do. I don't think that there's anything that Ric Flair won't do. I don't think that there's anything that Ric Flair shouldn't do. He's just a guy who, no matter what life throws at him, he kicks out it too. He is the near fall king. For a guy who self-admittedly ended up losing a lot of matches in his career, when it comes to the big game of life, he doesn't do the job for anybody. I just loved it uh, uh, at this stage in Ric Flair's life. What he's really becoming known for, you know, what I think is the is the biggest thing that makes Ric Flair is his ability to just keep coming back stronger and stronger and stronger. I think that uh, this only, uh, not only does it bring great happiness and joy to all of us fans that love Ric Flair, I'm sure all of his family and friends that actually know the man are overjoyed at this every single time it happens, but it adds so much to the legacy of the nature boy that in life, as in wrestling, nobody could hold this guy down. Think about Ric Flair's wrestling career. He's a guy who said he felt like he was trying to be uh, pushed to the side. He felt like uh, like his home promotion was done with him. And that's why he first went to the WWE in 1991. In 1991, by the way, my phone's going off. Thank, good for you. AT&T alert. Spam risk. Ha ha. Not even picking up. Um, he, in 92, 91 is when he showed up to WWE for the first time. 1991, he felt like Jim Crockett Promotions was done with him. He felt like, you know, he was being put out to pasture and he still thought that he had a lot more to offer. Guess what? Rick was right. You know, uh, once the, the WWE run, it goes great, but... They level with him. They say, Rick, we want to go for younger. This is now 93 after, uh, or, or the end of 92. You know, this is about two years is what he spent in WWE, maybe slightly less for the first time. But they go, uh, you know, we, we're just going to, we're skewing younger. We're looking at the way business is going and we have to put our investment in the young talent. We'd love for you to stick around, but it's not going to be in that main event slot anymore. And he goes, you know what, guys? I appreciate it. We're ending on a good note. But let me go back to WCW and let me see what's going on there. So in 93, he gets told by WWE, 
ah, it's not really time for you to be in the main event anymore. Okay, no problem, no problem. He goes on, he goes back to WCW. He finally has the big Hogan Flair match. He's a main event guy again. The NWO shows up and WCW just, he says it. He beats the confidence out of him to the point that it's now the late 90s starting to drift towards the millennium. And he's saying, now I don't even know if I have it anymore. But guess what? When it came down to it, when it was the last episode of WCW Monday Nitro, what is the match that headlined that last episode? The answer to that question is Ric Flair versus Sting. A match that was on the first episode of WCW Monday Nitro. A match that was made famous at the very first clash of the champions. Ric Flair versus Sting. We're in, I, I guess at that point, 2001, I want to say. And you think, okay, Ric Flair thought that that was his last hurrah. 2001, he thought it was his last hurrah. He shows up to WWE to be strictly off screen. Not off screen, but out of the ring. You know, to be a general manager type of character. Little does he know, he still has some of his best years, arguably, in front of him. I would argue that one of Ric Flair's best runs in all of pro wrestling was his last run. Was that run, and I'm not talking about the TNA stuff. We never talk about the TNA stuff. If we're talking about Ric Flair, let's not bring up the TNA stuff. I'm talking about the run that led to his true final match. And you'll sit there and you go, well, was it his final match? Because what about the TNA stuff? And I'll tell you, I told you, don't bring up the TNA stuff. Please don't bring up the TNA stuff. Let's not talk about it. I'm talking about the the when he went out on this quest and said, the next match that I lose will be my last match. And we watched him go, go, go all the way to Shawn Michaels. WrestleMania 24. This is a guy who came into WWE. WrestleMania 17 was the WrestleMania uh, that was happening uh, where it was Vince McMahon versus Shane McMahon. That was WrestleMania 17. That was the WrestleMania that happened right around the last episode of Nitro. A week after the last episode of Nitro was WrestleMania 17. WrestleMania 17 comes around, and Ric Flair thinks that his best years are behind him. He doesn't actually retire from the ring until WrestleMania 24. At WrestleMania 24, you're talking now what? Uh, 2008? 2008! He finally has his final match. And it ends up being one of the best matches in his entire career. His match with Shawn Michaels. I believe it was 2008. I'm going off the top of my head for all this. I didn't know I was going to dip into a Ric Flair soliloquy. But he's just incredible. 2008. You're talking about a guy who in 1991, he thought that uh, he was getting the hint that they were done with him. Wrestling in general. He had to go find other pastures because wrestling was starting to get washed up for him. 91. Okay. Let's go 17 years. You still, can you imagine that? You start worrying, uh uh-oh, I wonder if this thing, whatever industry that you're in, whatever you're really good at, and you're like, this is my career. Imagine thinking, oh my God, you know, I was the best at what I do, and I still think I kind of am, but I think that my industry is done with me. Imagine having those insecurities and not realizing 
You got 17 years left to do what it is that you do. And after 17 years, you're going to believe you're going to leave quite possibly one of if not the most beloved superstars in the history of the industry. I mean, come on. Who's got a farewell uh night better than Ric Flair's? Ric Flair's retirement is the greatest retirement in the history of wrestling. You know why that is? Because we don't bring up the TNA stuff. Don't mention the TNA stuff. We don't bring it up. Other, name a better one. Name a better one. I challenge you that. If Macho Man Randy Savage had retired uh, after he lost to Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 7, then you've got, you, you, you've got something that could give it a run for its money. If Macho Man Randy Savage putting Miss Elizabeth on his shoulders at WrestleMania 7, was the last match. You could still do your match made in heaven at SummerSlam 91. You could still do all that stuff. But his last match, he never comes back in November of 91. He just retires from in-ring. He goes to commentary. He goes to everything else. You might have the greatest retirement of all time there. Probably an early retirement, but still the greatest. That didn't happen. And that leads me to believe that Ric Flair's retirement is the greatest retirement in the history of pro wrestling. And it happened 17 years after he was worried that he was done. I mean, it's amazing. Ric Flair is in life as he is in wrestling. Unstoppable. And it's happy to see, I'm happy to see the Nate be the Nate. Speaking of unstoppable, story number four for me this week. Uh, again, something that I just read uh, in the last day or two. AJ Styles did an interview with Newsweek. And he was talking about his new contract. Now, AJ Styles, uh, he was a little bit annoyed. He did. He signed his contract with WWE. He re-signed, obviously, and he made that public. But AJ was annoyed, truthfully annoyed, that people were reporting that he had re-signed way before he had re-signed. And the reason he was annoyed is because nobody had asked him. You know, he, a lot of people like AJ Styles don't like that. And maybe, you know, and this is something I talked to Bixen Span about when he was on the podcast. From AJ Styles' perspective, he doesn't like it when people who call themselves journalists report on stuff that's not, that they've never asked him. He's like, I never said that to anybody. Why would you just write that? I think the the wrestling journalist would turn around and say, well, we don't have access to you to ask you. So what do you want to just not write anything? I think that's the great debate that would go down there. Uh, but AJ Styles said uh, himself in this interview with Newsweek that he has signed his last WWE deal, or his last, pro, his last deal in pro wrestling. He made it very clear, as you read this interview with Newsweek, that he is not going to any other promotion. He's not going to end up at AEW or whatever AEW becomes. He's not going to end up anywhere besides WWE. He's going to run out this contract. I didn't see in the article if it said how long the deal is for. I don't know. For some reason in my head, it feels like it's three years. It might be more. I don't remember if it's even been reported. If you guys haven't read anything about it, I don't know anything. I don't know any secret information about it. Um, but, you know, he says he's in his early 40s. He wants to go out, you know, at that time. And I don't know. You know, I would hope that somebody like AJ Styles will stay in the wrestling business. You know, WWE uh, is a company that's been set up now. In this day and age, WWE is a spot where somebody you can and this is something we talked to uh the undisputed era about if you have, you have heard that podcast that i did uh with all four members of the undisputed era um they talk about how the performance center and the culture of nxt 
has set up this space where you not only learn how to compete in a WWE ring, but you start to get a look at what a career in wrestling looks like after you're done competing in the ring. And you start to get a look at the real possibility that maybe wasn't there before that, hey, I may be able to actually do this forever. I may be able to compete, not compete, but be in wrestling forever. If it's a trainer, if it's whatever, you know? And I think that I would hope that that's something that AJ Styles wants to do. I feel like he's got this running through his blood um, and would probably have a lot to offer. Look, just from the perspective that he's one of the few guys that has been able to seamlessly make the transition uh, from being a top star outside of the WWE for over a decade, a world champion in New Japan, the face of Impact Wrestling. You know, he was the guy outside of WWE, and he was able to seamlessly transition into being a full-fledged WWE superstar to the point where you see AJ Styles now and you look at him as a guy who is one of the faces of WWE. Uh, and I think that just that right there, the wisdom that that would take is something that should be shared with people. So hopefully AJ Styles will have a long career with WWE even after this contract is over, if that's something he wants. Uh, but, you know, I just thought it was interesting that he's already looking at this contract as his last. And who knows? You never know with stuff like this. You know, he may get to the end of this deal and decide, ah, I'm like Mark Henry. I still got a lot left in the tank. And who knows? Maybe he'll decide to sign something else. But as of right now, that's what AJ's thinking. Let's go to story number three. Story number three is all about the 24-7 title. Controversial uh, thing happened this week. WWE uh, at the pay-per-view of Money in the Bank. They announced that they're doing a a new championship is going to be introduced on Monday Night Raw. And Mick Foley is going to introduce it. Now, this led, there were a couple of big theories going on around there. First of all, a 24-7 title uh, had been kind of in the rumor mills for a little while. And I think that that's just because now that the WWE has the WWE Network, now that they have uh, social media and and YouTube and Twitter and videos there are such a big part of what they do. Um, I think that it led a lot of people to uh, saying, well, you know, they're going to utilize that at some point. You know, I think it was just a common sense thing, not so much leaked information. But for this one specifically, first of all, nobody was talking about the fact that a title was going to be introduced anytime soon before WWE announced it. When WWE did announce it, uh, the, the main things that I was hearing were the hardcore title coming back, which, you know, we were talking about that when we were doing the watch along with Pat McAfee there at Money in the Bank. And... It was a natural to think that the hardcore title was coming back because, you know, Mick Foley being the guy to to introduce this title, whatever it is, uh, he introduced the hardcore title, really. I mean, Vince McMahon introduced it. He gave it to Mick Foley. But Mick Foley was synonymous with that hardcore title. Uh, so, although, you know, I, I don't... The hardcore championship doesn't really fit in with what WWE is today. You know, I I don't see hardcore matches coming back anytime soon. I think that we know way too much about uh, concussions. I think, you know, the WWE's uh, stance on blood these days, all this stuff. It's just we're living in a different time entirely. So I don't see the WWE bringing back the hardcore title. In my head, I was like, logically, it makes sense. If Mick Foley's bringing it back, it would be the hardcore title. But at the same time, logically, it doesn't make sense. Because why would WWE put themselves in that situation? The other title that was being uh, 
bandied about as a rumor was the Legends Championship. Somebody thought there was going to be a Legends Championship and it was going to be a championship awarded to either The Undertaker or Goldberg, depending on who won that match. Uh, people were not, from what I read, terribly excited about that because, you know, I, I think in this day and age, there's a, a a certain, I don't know what the word is, you know, a skepticism about Legends matches at all. And how often is a Legends title going to get defended? You know, you wouldn't have a legend just defend the title against a non-legend. So, and what's the criteria for that? It's 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 a lot going on. But WWE, uh, they go on Raw. Mick Foley comes out and he introduces the WWE 24-7 Championship. Uh, and fans were not kind, I don't think, to Mick Foley. It wasn't a a warm reception to him. Mick tweeted about it and it seemed like, uh, seemed like it shook him up. I think Mick Foley's a pretty emotional guy. He wants his stuff to work. He wants his stuff to be effective. And when it isn't, uh, you know, it hurts his feelings, I think. Uh, and I get it. You know, Mick's promo was actually really, really good. Here's what I'm thinking, okay? Because I was reading a lot uh, of feedback about the 24-7 championship. First of all, I was honestly shocked at the criticism that the 24-7 championship got. You know, aesthetically, the championship, the way it looks, you know, it's not it's not the most gorgeous piece ever right it's not the it's not on the list of the nicest championships that the wwe has ever designed but the hardcore title it was either a title that was all smashed with a hammer or it was a license plate on a strap or you know the the hardcore title was an ugly title you know there have been lots of ugly titles so it was, it was weird to me that they're like oh the 24-7 title is ugly. I like the winged eagle belt. And like, yeah, I know, but this isn't the WWE Championship. This is a 24-7 title. This is this is for entertainment purposes. And then I don't know. I mean, I, there are there are people complaining about the way it's being defended. And that's blowing my mind. First of all, it's been in existence for two days, two shows, right? Two television shows. I don't see how anybody doesn't understand the entertainment value of a 24-7 championship. We've seen how much gold from our truth already based on what he did on Raw, what he did on SmackDown, and everything he's done on his Twitter and Instagram accounts. Hilarious. All of it is great. Drake Maverick. How much entertainment is that guy pumping out? We had three title changes already on Monday Night Raw. People are like, oh, well, who wants it? Look, the Hardcore Championship is looked back on fondly. Everything that I see, people love the Hardcore Championship. They love that the Hardcore Championship was defended 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Once the 24-7 rule was put in place in that Hardcore division, it was basically the 24-7 title. The Hardcore title matches that the WWE had when the Hardcore Championship was 24-7 were not good Hardcore matches. None of the matches were any good. They were entertaining, but they weren't good hardcore matches. When you think about the good hardcore matches, you think about, like, uh, uh, for me, Sabu versus Terry Funk, barbed wire, ECW, born to be wired. You think about uh, uh, the IWA 95 King of the Death match finale between Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. You you bring up uh, uh, some of Onita's stuff from FNW, Onita versus Mr. Pogo, Onita versus Hayabusa in an electrified barbed wire steel cage match. Like, you know, if, if you want to talk about hardcore matches 
that that told this grand story in a hardcore match that could be looked at as a true main event of a show, you could look there. You know, I think that the stuff that WWE did early on with uh, Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie as a tag team, the dumpster match that they had with New Age Outlaws, honestly, great hardcore match at WrestleMania. The angle that led to it was great. And the match was great. Like that, it, there was a real story behind it. It was awesome. Mick Foley versus Undertaker, Hell in a Cell. I would consider that a hardcore match because of everything that went down. Incredible match. How about uh, the street fight between Cactus Jack and Triple H at Royal Rumble 2000? What was supposed to be the second to last match? 2000, you had Royal Rumble, Triple H versus Cactus Jack. Incredible street fight. That match is brilliant. Go back, watch Royal Rumble 2000, and watch the Triple H Cactus Jack match. It's awesome. And then a month later was the No Way Out Hell in a Cell that was supposed to be Cactus Jack's retirement. How about Mankind versus The Rock, Last Man Standing? But none of those matches took place in the 24-7 hardcore title era of WWE. You know, it, that title became a title that was for entertainment purposes only. Really, it was so you could watch Crash Holly fight the Mean Street Posse in a Discovery Zone. It was so you could see Crash Holly try to escape uh, the checked baggage area of the airport without Steve Blackman rolling him up. It was so you could see Pat Patterson pin Jerry Briscoe while Jerry Briscoe was taking a nap. Like, it, it was for entertainment purposes. And it was great. I'm not saying it was bad. But I'm saying you have to see it for what it is. I mean, I the 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 24/7 title is that. I mean, it's 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 entertaining. And furthermore, quite frankly, if AEW came out with a 24/7 title and it was being defended on their YouTube show, everybody would think it was brilliant. So, you know, I I don't know uh this is an instance where people to me the 24/7 title to me right now could change. They could screw it up. It could be hard, whatever. Right now, the 24-7 title is my gauge. If you are complaining about the 24-7 title, I am not taking your opinion on WWE seriously because you are watching the show looking for stuff to complain about. Unless you present me a great example, you know? I don't know who, you know, maybe I have a conversation with somebody and they'll present me a great example. But... I believe right now, at this moment, if you tell me, oh, it sucks, WWE screwed that up again, the 24-7 title is stupid, I don't know what you're looking for, man. And I think that you're you're looking to complain. I don't even think you need to stop watching WWE. I, need, I think that you need to adjust your attitude. Because if you're watching WWE to complain, odds are you're one of those negative people in life. You're the guy at work who complains about work all day as if the rest of us aren't working in the same place, okay? We're all dealing with it. We don't need to hear you complaining about it. You're that guy, I think, probably. I could be proven wrong, but I think most likely that's true. I'm all for the 24-7 title. I think that uh, it's added a spotlight on guys that didn't have a spotlight before. You know, the only thing I would have wished would have happened differently is I was watching SmackDown this week, and I was wishing that Carmella would help R-Truth escape and then pin R-Truth and become the 24-7 champion. I think they need to go full intergender with this one. You know, especially because you don't really need to have 
a, a, a physical altercation to have a title change. Carmella could just surprise our truth and pin him. And it's not like you have to have a full match. And then you could have, you know, like Patterson and Briscoe, like I just said a minute ago, while Carmella's asleep, you could have Bobby Roode just come in, sneak in, pin her. You just put her, his finger on her shoulder. One, two, three. Now Bobby Roode's got the title. And go place to place, man. I hope, uh, I'm hoping for frequent and constant title changes. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed to the 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 title being redesigned, and all in good time, I suppose. I, I you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that. I don't know what you guys are talking about. It's beautiful. It's not a beautiful title, but this one's function over fashion. I think it's probably durable as hell. You could take it wherever you want to go. I don't know what those side plates are. Hopefully, they're going to engrave the names of every champion on those side plates and just have side plates for days. But it, right now, they just look like they're blank side plates, which is it's weird. But, yeah, so so I, I don't understand the criticism. I'm all for it, and I think it's been executed well so far. Story number two, we'll head over to Money in the Bank. A couple of things happened at Money in the Bank. Really, story number two is Brock Lesnar wins Money in the Bank and, and the reaction that got and what I think of it. Um, but a couple of things went down at Money in the Bank. Of course, uh, Bailey wins the uh, SmackDown Women's Championship. I think that this is good, and here's why I think it's good. Uh, it gives Bailey a chance to shine, but also, I think for the sake of Becky Lynch, the Becky Two Belts thing, it's cool, but there's a reason uh, that every time a, a champion has had two titles, they give one up. There's a reason why when Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan and became the WWE and Intercontinental Champion, he gave up the Intercontinental title. And that's because it becomes impossible long-term to have two storylines going at the same time. If you're not going to unify those titles, to have one person have both titles long-term is too much for anybody. I don't think there's any way that anybody can succeed in that type of performance. But if you just have Charlotte win, well, now you've got Lacey Evans over there going, you know, you've got Becky mad at Lacey because Lacey cost her the SmackDown Women's Championship. You've got Lacey mad at Becky because she wants a rematch for the Raw Women's Championship. You got Becky mad at Charlotte because she wants her SmackDown Women's Championship back. So effectively, if Charlotte keeps the SmackDown Women's Championship, you're left in a position where Becky still has to go after two opponents. And the only reason to do this is so Becky's got one person to deal with, and that's Lacey Evans. Now, technically, you could say, well... She still has beef with Charlotte, and that's all fine and good, but there's not a second title involved in that now complicating it, and Charlotte can go over and play with Becky for a while if need be. Uh, I mean, I mean Bailey for a while if need be. Bailey taking the title off Charlotte now just takes it away from the equation of Becky uh, until maybe you need to go back there, and you can have a Becky versus Bailey match. Now, I really think that Bailey, they that. WWE should do with Bailey what they thought they were going to do with Becky. I think I think Bailey is in desperate need uh, of a heel turn. I think Bailey, as a bad guy, you know, you might think I'm crazy, but WWE recently signed uh, Stokely Hathaway, who is this incredible manager. Uh, he did stuff with Ring of Honor for a while, but he did a ton of stuff with Evolve. He's just, he's a really talented guy. He's great on social media. If you're not following him already, you should. But he's been doing the live events for NXT. 
Uh, I don't know if his name has officially been changed or not, but I knew him on the in, uh, on the independence. I was aware of him as Stokely Hathaway. If you turned Bailey heel and brought in Stokely Hathaway as her mouthpiece, I think you may be off to the races. Because I think Bailey is at her best when she's saying a lot without saying a lot. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that, I don't think that a good guy or bad guy, you should put all this promo weight onto Bailey. Because quite frankly, Bailey is capable of putting on some of the best matches in the women's division. Go back, I talk about it all the time. Go back to take over Brooklyn one and watch Sasha Banks versus Bailey. Go back to the Sasha Banks versus Bailey uh, Iron Man match. You know, go back to plenty of matches, you know. And I don't even think, you know, go look at, uh, Look at how she was on SmackDown. Like, Bailey is incredible in the ring. I think if you added a mouthpiece like Stokely Hathaway to Bailey and really had her turn on fans, I think, I think you'd have, I mean, money for days. You know, and that's really a time. If you, I, I, I would love to see Becky lose the Raw title to Lacey Evans and then start a, a, a rivalry with Bailey. Have Becky lose that uh, Raw women's title to uh, 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 to Lacey Evans. Becky has a match with Lacey Evans, right? She thinks Charlotte is going to interfere because Charlotte comes out. She's like, oh boy, now I got to deal with this. But Bailey comes out to even the odds. Bailey actually takes out Charlotte. So now Becky's feeling fine and confident. Bailey ends up interfering, costing Becky the match. Lacey Evans wins. Sasha ba- uh, uh, Bailey explains that she was tired. She's finally the champion. She's the first triple crown women's champion in WWE history. Raw women's title, SmackDown women's title, WWE women's tag team championship. First woman to win all three titles. But nobody's talking about that because even though I have the SmackDown women's championship all anybody's talking about is Becky two belts this, Becky two belts that. Enough. It's nonsense. This is finally Bailey's time. You know, you look at the four horsewomen of NXT Sasha Banks, Bailey, Charlotte, Becky. Everybody's had their moment to shine. Charlotte and Sasha Banks are the first women to headline a pay per view with Hell in a Cell. Sasha Banks has had many women's title runs. Charlotte is the greatest thing in the women's division. Becky is Becky two belts. What about Bailey? Well, lucky for me, I figured out, and this is Bailey talking, I figured out that WWE and SmackDown Live simply don't represent my best interests. Because I'm the champion, and they're putting all the spotlight on the Raw Women's Champion. The Raw Women's Champion is getting all of SmackDown's attention as if she is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Meanwhile, I'm the one representing your brand. Lucky for me, I found somebody that will represent my best interests. He's my new representative. And here comes Stokely Hathaway to explain to the world why Bailey is the greatest thing ever and why all the fans were holding her back. And then Izzy is in the front row and she's crying. And Stokely is like, somebody needs to take this, this, this little girl out. Somebody needs to remove her from the building. She's distracting us. And they remove Izzy from the building. 
because Bailey doesn't want to even see her face anymore. Oh my God, the dastardly deeds that Bailey is doing now. She's become so self-involved, so selfish. And it's all because this Stokely Hathaway has gotten into her ear. And this leads to Becky Lynch. Don't you know that these fans are the ones that made you who you are? That's where Stokely comes in. No, Becky. These fans are the ones that made you who you are. Bailey made Bailey. Oh, boo, boo. And we rev up and we rev up. Come SummerSlam, one year removed from the original Becky Lynch heel turn. You got a SummerSlam match where it's bad guy Bailey with her manager Stokely Hathaway being challenged for the SmackDown Women's Championship by the hero Becky Lynch. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be great, and I think Bailey would do tremendously well in a scenario similar to that one. Uh, let's go. Oh, oh, talked about Bailey this whole time. The intention was to talk about Brock Lesnar. Of uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised that people were upset that Brock Lesnar won the Money in the Bank match. And while it doesn't make a ton of sense in the world, I think that something that we have to be aware of uh, in WWE in 2019 is that Brock Lesnar makes his own rules, and it's, that's been set up, right? That precedent I feel like has been set. Brock Lesnar doesn't play by the rules. If he wants to be in a match, he's going to take somebody out and he's going to enter that match. Uh, I honestly do not have any problem with Brock Lesnar as Mr. Money in the Bank. You know, I don't know. I I think that this is one of those things where you got to switch up these Money in the Bank storylines. You can't just consistently have somebody who's Mr. Money in the Bank. You know, I think that some years you should have somebody that's always on Raw whether it's a Baron Corbin or it's an Edge or it's a Damian Sandow or whoever it is, that's all, the Miz, that's always there with that Money in the Bank briefcase knowing, okay, we're going to cash it in. And then other years, give it to a Braun Strowman or a Brock Lesnar or a Bailey who's going to cash it in the same night where it's not something that's going to be consistent. You know, Make it a little bit individual specific as opposed to the briefcase itself becoming a character that's just kind of omnipresent. Uh, you know, I, I don't... I don't think Brock Lesnar being on TV is ever a bad thing. You know, I don't think Brock Lesnar being a spoiler in a lot of situations is a bad thing. I worry that he's going to end up taking Kofi Kingston's title. And I think that, you know, per at this moment, I believe Kofi Kingston is a better champion than Seth Rollins is. And I think Kofi Kingston has been delivering. I think Kofi Kingston is taking full advantage of every moment that he has. You know, if I'm in WWE right now, I'm looking and going, I don't know what I originally thought I was going to do, but Kofi Kingston needs to keep the WWE Championship for a long time. Even Brock Lesnar, when Kofi Kingston comes out and he's got the title on, he's like, I'm the champion and I'm going to be the greatest champion ever. And Brock Lesnar just kind of points at him and goes, look at you. That energy and that vibe, that can last, man. He has tremendous matches. I just, I think the world of Kofi Kingston is champion. And, you know, as much as I don't want to see Seth Rollins, I I would like to see Seth Rollins have some time with the title too. You know, I think that Brock Lesnar and his his briefcase should just kind of be floating there for a long time. You know, I think that WWE could use uh, Brock Lesnar out of the title picture for a long time. And I think as long as he's got that Money in the Bank briefcase, he's always kind of in the picture, which is still good. He, He maintains his main event level status. He's always kind of there. But in the meantime, let's let some other people have that status. Let's give some time to Seth Rollins so he can become the Seth Rollins that he could become and have some rivalries that we can really sink our teeth into. Let's let Kofi Kingston 
have this run that has already started off so well, you know? And then eventually have Brock Lesnar come in and spoil it for somebody. But I'm not mad at Brock Lesnar being Mr. Money in the Bank. As long as it doesn't mean that Kofi Kingston's reign gets shortened, I'm okay with it. Uh, we'll go to the number one story of the week. Double or Nothing is on Saturday. Now, uh, a little bit of controversy. I think Double or Nothing is a little more expensive than people thought it would be. I don't necessarily uh, understand uh, the logic behind that. I would have thought that because you're not on TV yet, that Double or Nothing should be a little bit more affordable. But maybe because this is the first pay-per-view that's branded AEW, they don't want to undervalue that brand. Meaning All In is not an AEW pay-per-view. All In is an independent venture. And AEW, through press conferences, through uh, uh, press releases, through different talent being announced and being signed, they want to add some cachet to that brand. So I think that that's the logic behind it. And I'm just speaking for a consumer. I would love to only have to pay 30 bucks for this pay-per-view. But, you know, I'm sure I'll still order it. Uh, so we're looking at the card right now for AEW's uh, Double or Nothing this weekend, the first pay-per-view. Now, I don't know uh, what this promotion is going to look like after this pay-per-view because the TV doesn't start until the fall. So it's May we're getting this pay-per-view. We're going to have June, July, August. We're going to have four months where no live shows have been announced. Well, one live show has been announced. That Fighter Fest has been announced. But no kind of schedule for live shows has been announced. And no concrete date for TV. Unless they're going to try to just continue stuff uh, on YouTube and things like that. I think it'll be an interesting four months. I, I'm, I'm anxious to see where they're going with everything. They have announced that the AEW Championship will be determined in a match in the future, and that match will be between the winner of the uh, Battle Royal, the 20-man casino Battle Royal, and the winner of the Chris Jericho-Kenny Omega match. So it'll be either Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega, who are going to have their rematch at uh, Double or Nothing, and then one of those two will uh, compete against the winner of the Battle Royal who not all the spots have been announced. So we'll start there, I guess. The 20-man casino uh, battle royal, which already, I mean, if you're talking about a world title contention, that makes it a bigger deal, certainly, than the uh, over-budget battle royal at the AEW pay-per-view. You got Sonny Kiss, Brandon Cutler, Ace Romero, Glacier, is what I'm reading. Brian Pillman Jr., Sonny Days, MJF, Joey Janela, Dustin Thomas, Billy Gunn, Jimmy Havoc, Michael Nakazawa, Jungle Boy, Isaiah Cassidy, Mark Quinn, Lucasaurus, the former Perfect Ten tied Dillinger, Sean Spears, is officially announced as being in this battle royal. And then you've got one, two, three, four names that have not yet been announced. Uh, some of them could be surprises. Flip Gordon, remember last time, came in as a surprise. Uh, who knows? Uh, a lot of people uh, wondering if... Uh, the former Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, will make a surprise appearance at Double or Nothing. Uh, and who knows? You know, uh, the the rumor is that he won't be wrestling anywhere full-time for several months because he's filming a movie. But if AEW doesn't have TV for four months, it's kind of right up his alley. Um, you know, I think it'll be great to see Ty Dillinger back in the ring. I think, uh, you know, Jungle Boy, MJF, Joey Janela, such a, a great opportunity for all three of those guys. Sonny Kiss... Great opportunity. Hopefully Glacier doesn't win. Can you imagine if Glacier won? 
This is how we're starting AEW. It's Glacier versus Kenny Omega for the title. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be really, really interesting to see who wins that. And of course, Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho, one of the main events uh, for the show. You've got SoCal Uncensored, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky versus the Stronghearts, Seema T-Hawk and uh, El Lindemann. Uh, I'm not at all familiar with the Stronghearts, I don't think. I think I might have seen Seema before. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll be great exposure. Uh, triple Threat Women's Match, Nyla Rose versus Kylie Ray versus Britt Baker. I think it's going to be an awesome match. Uh, I love that Britt Baker, still working in the dentist office, was watching uh, Hangman Page versus uh, Pac, the former Neville, that was streamed uh, on the AEW YouTube channel. Uh, she was watching that in her office. Now, that's kind of a disaster, in my opinion, that already one of the big matches announced for this show is not happening. Some people are saying it's because of uh, uh, issues with travel and uh, getting a work visa. Other people are saying it's because, uh, uh, I think, uh, what is it, Dragon Gate that Pac is the champion of? that uh, Whatever promotion, if it's Dragon Gate, uh, if it's not, I apologize. But whatever promotion that Pac is the champion of, they don't want him to do the J-O-B uh, at this pay-per-view. So if that's the case, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think it's a bad sign. It doesn't, it's not catastrophic, you know, but I think it's a bad sign that at this stage in the game, they are uh, not coming through with stuff. You would have thought that if they're going to announce matches, these things would be in concrete already. The last thing they want is, you know, any anything like this. So hopefully this will be a one-off. But, you know, you got to be organized uh, as a company. And every company goes through this, but it's your first show. That's all. Uh, you've got uh, the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers. That's going to be phenomenal. I can't wait to see uh, uh, Penta and Phoenix versus the Young Bucks. Kip Sabian versus Sammy Guevara. I believe that that's going to be on the pre-show. That's going to be on YouTube. Uh, Aja Kong, Yuka Sakazawa. Let me try that again. Yuka Sakazaki and Emi Sakura versus Hikaru, Hikaru Shida, Rio. I'm just, I'm not even going to try. Six women's tag team match. I'm sorry I'm butchering these names. I think I'll sound even more stupid if I say them. Uh, kind of reminds me of the uh, six-person match uh, uh, that uh, uh, ECW brought in. With uh, the great Sasuke and Kayentai, you know, I don't know if they were called Kayentai at the time, but it was Taka and uh, uh, Dick Togo and all those guys that um, they did it barely legal, just in the sense that it's a new style. It's going to differentiate the product. I think that that's always good. And to see Asha Kong on a pay-per-view uh, in 2019 is awesome. If you guys don't remember Aja Kong, she was she wrestled for the WWE for a period of time. She re- I think she did some WCW stuff too. She's great. Uh, you've got the best friends, Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta versus Angelico and Jack Evans. It's going to be tremendous. And then, of course, Cody versus Dustin. Uh, look, you know, I think that this pay-per-view means the world to AEW right now. It's not a make-or-break, in my opinion. I think a, uh, All In was a make-or-break for the organization, not AEW, but the Bucks and Cody and, you know, the Elite. Uh, I don't think that this show is necessarily make-or-break. Because it's hap- you know, AEW is happening regardless. But I, I think that this show is going to be the show that if they don't nail it perfectly, this show will be the show that the AEW cynics start to form. At some point or another, they're going to get out of the honeymoon phase and we are going to start to see an influx of AEW cynics. 
If this pay-per-view doesn't go off without a hitch, it'll start to happen this weekend. But I don't know why, honestly, this pay-per-view wouldn't go off without a hitch. Uh, I thought All In was a well-done show, so I don't know why this show wouldn't be great as well. Uh, but I'll be watching, and we'll probably do uh, an after show immediately after uh, immediately after Double or Nothing that we'll do on Patreon. So we'll do it live on Patreon. So if you're a superstar level or above, you'll get to watch it live just like you do State of Wrestling every single week. Uh, and if you are uh, not, we'll post the audio after we're done. So you'll still, even the Money Marks, who are paying four bucks a month, will be able to listen to it. Money Marks? You're going to be able to listen to the show after I post it. Uh, Indie Darlings, you'll be able to watch the show after I post it. And Superstars and Above, you'll be able to watch it live and interact and do the whole thing. So it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. And we'll talk to you then. Thank you for being a part of another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.